0: Welcome back to the Cinema Condition with your host, filmmaker and creator of the NerdCore Podcast Network, Raul Alejandro Mendoza. And as always, we are back for another movie with another guest. And today I'm inviting a new guest. Last week, we were joined by the wonderful Leah Burns for Ari Aster's 2018 film, Hereditary. And she'll be back next week, but today I actually get to invite a new guest. She's not really new around these parts, but she is a new guest on this show. And that is none other than one of my favorite people ever that I get to talk talk to. She was on a couple of Game of Thrones reviews. I think she was on, she was definitely on the Django review. She was on our first ever theme review month when we started this podcast, like when we started Nerdcore like three years ago. That is none other than Julia. How are you doing? Hey, I'm great.
1: Glad to be here again.
0: (laughs) I know. I'm so excited. What (laughs) should have been last week is now on this week, but it's okay. Because, you know, it's, it's, what's it called? It's always great to have a Julia on whenever. It doesn't matter when it is. Just (laughs) having her on. Thank you. I love to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on, Julia. Um, she, Julia, so famously, um, her slot was decided like at last minute. I never got the chance to grab anybody uh, for a last slot. And I was saving it for a specific person, but I never got in contact with them because I wasn't able to get into contact with them. So I, go, I, I told uh, Julia, hey, I do this podcast where we deeply analyze movies is there a movie that you want to do and do you want to come on? She said, yes. And she goes, literally in that same span of a second, she goes, Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Never been so certain. I was Will like, I? <laughs> you kind of made some people mad with that pic. Uh You know, Brad <laughs> was mad because he's like, he loves that movie. And, uh, you know, Brad's my natural enemy. So that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, your natural enemy since uh, the uh, the incarnation of the show, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it's okay. But uh, yeah, you you kind of angered Brad with that one. But Brad right now has some beef with Alex for taking a lot of his picks as well. But yeah, we're gonna do a Blade <laughs> Runner today. And yeah, I'm. I'm first, first off, I want to know what's going on over there. How are you doing in Brazil? So in here in
1: quarantine and. Um, Last week you have a cyclone in here. like everything broke up, some houses uh, lost their roofs and some and things like that. But besides that, everything's good uh, besides quarantine stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. much to talk about because I'm not
0: leaving my house <laughs> in like three months. Oh, I'm not leaving it at all either. so uh, we're kind of in the same boat here. But uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> at least you've been able to get on the show during quarantine and been able to, you know, at least pass the time like that. Yeah. You know, no more, no more. Yeah,
1: it's great.
0: No more clubs. No more. Uh, what's it called? The uh, DJs. Uh, to you being able to DJ <laughs> at the club anymore? Um, but yeah, you know.
1: I, I'm using quarantine to improve my. Nerd stuff yeah, <laughs> and my yeah.
0: nerd knowledge. Your nerd knowledge, yeah. Just watch, just keep. You're just rewatching uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood over and over again, which uh, <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm overdue. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm overdue my third rewatch of that show. I've I rewatched it twice now. I think uh, f- like first time ever, the second time I watched it in like college, in like my first year of college, and now I'm overdue having to rewatch it one more time again. But uh I mean hey you know that's what we that's what we have quarantine for right so we can uh, rewatch all the shows Exactly. That we, <laughs> yeah but uh you know exactly. for those of you for those of you who don't know uh, Julia, she's a big cinephile she's a lover of movies and uh, I mean you can tell by her coming on this show I mean she you know the first the first ever time I talked with Julia, her biggest love that I knew about was uh, was a uh, Star Wars and of course it's, it's, it has to be Star Wars you know why would not why wouldn't it not be Star Wars right and, um, <laughs> yeah, and what's it called, then, then you know, I get to learn more about her, learn that she's a big Tarantino fan, you know, we brought her in for Django, but uh, what's it called, when people were asking her for her favorite movies, uh, I saw that she posted uh, Blade Runner, and uh, what's it called, during that time, I what's it called, we already had done our Blade Runner review a long time ago, and I was like, oh, I know that who's gonna be <laughs> mad. It's kind of like with uh, Nikki and Spirited Away, that's the one movie that she really would like to talk about. And we had reviewed Spirited Away way before Nikki had the chance to get on the show. And it's the same thing with Julia, like way before we could get, well, not way before, but like during a time when like, you know, Julia wasn't coming on the show. We had already had done Blade Runner and, you know, it broke my heart. But when I made the show, I said, you know, I got now that I can't find anybody else, I need to get a last second slot in there. I knew I could come to Julia. I had no idea that she was going to choose this. Honestly, (laughs) I was under the impression that you were going to choose Django Unchained. (laughs) No, I'm I'm super in mood to talk about Blade Runner. (laughs) Oh, my God. We're going to have ourselves quite the conversation about Blade Runner. But, uh, you know, we're going to start our conversation. But uh, what's it called? Uh, Blade Runner is directed by Ridley Scott. And we've actually never talked about Ridley Scott. So I got to introduce him to the people. For those of you who may not know the director Ridley Scott, which I am sure I am one hundred percent sure, at least uh, y'all have at least seen at least one movie from Ridley Scott. There's no way you've never seen at least one of his movies. So, uh, Ridley Scott was born on the thirtieth of November in nineteen thirty-seven. He's an English filmmaker, and I believe he's Sir Ridley Scott. Yeah, Sir Ridley Scott. He was a uh, he was knighted. Um, you know, he's really well known for his uh for obviously his First hit, his big hit in 1979. And that was his science fiction horror film Alien. And then, of course, he would make in 1982 Blade Runner. And then he would make in 1991 Thelma and Louise. And his historical drama in 2000, Gladiator, that I believe would win him the Best Picture Oscar, if I remember correctly. And then, of course, in 2001, he makes Black Hawk Down, his war movie. And he makes another science fiction film in 2015 called, uh, what's it called, uh, The Martian. But there's more, there's more to really Scott. I mean, he's, he, one of my favorite movies that really Scott has done is actually uh, Kingdom of Heaven uh, based on the, um, based on the, what's it called, um, the the, third, the Crusades, the Crusades. And it was, and he's, he's really kind of uh Responsible a lot about these uh, kind of modern day epic films. And he's done a lot of other stuff, you know, Robin Hood, uh, Mogadishu, what, no, sorry, not Mogadishu, but Robin Hood, uh, Alien Covenant, Prometheus. And he's working on a new film with, uh, I believe, Ben Affleck called The Duel. But, you know, nothing is bigger than, of course, his 1982 film that, you know, we're talking today, uh, Blade Runner. And But the thing with, with Ridley Scott that's always so interesting is how he kind of touches different parts, different genres, like his historical dramas, he'll do these. I, I believe there's actually a uh, rom-com that Brad saw that was directed by, uh, by, by Ridley Scott. So Ridley Scott is really a versatile filmmaker in that sense. And his movies are always so grand in scale, even when they're just such small, small, smallish films like Alien, they're still very grand. And let's go ahead and finally, well, let's go ahead and talk about 1982's Blade Runner. Uh, Before I actually introduce it, uh, Julia, this is a movie I actually didn't pick for you. I didn't pick this one for you. You picked it on your own. So I want to hear why did you choose Blade Runner? Okay.
1: (laughs) First of all, because it's one of my favorite movies ever. And, you know, every time I watch this movie, and I mean it, I watch it like more than 10 times at least. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always feel like the future is so weird and I always uh, kept thinking like, can we actually have droids sometime or things like that. And and also, if you actually watch the movie, you can um, see how People uh have their own prejudice, like treating the different as the enemy sometimes. And you know, the the environment of the movie is like super nice and all the cyberpunk stuff is mm-hmm. like amazing.
0: Yeah. Obviously this movie but, is um, oh I'm sorry, Julia, go ahead. No, can can go it. Okay. Go ahead. I was going to say, obviously, what's it called? If you've never seen Blade Runner, you have seen its influences absolutely everywhere. If we're talking video games, if you want the most obvious one, I mean, look at the game that's going to be coming out this year, Cyberpunk 2077. If that doesn't look like Blade Runner, exactly. I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what you're looking at. Uh, but, you know, in anime, we have a ghost in the shell that literally took its vision and its yeah. vision and imagery from Blade Runner. And, you know, science fiction, I've always say science fiction was really mastered with 2001 Space Odyssey, but science fiction is revolutionized with 1982's Blade Runner. And we it's one of the most uh, important and pivotal movies to to bless science fiction. And it creates the incredible dystopian uh, uh, dystopian uh, cyberpunk world that we get to see in future movies. And uh, yeah, I mean, another great example, another movie that we're gonna actually watch on the podcast. What's called discuss on the podcast, Akira. Akira is very influenced by Blade Runner, as well. But um, yes, Julia, what were you gonna say before I rudely interrupted you? Excuse me. Um, I was just saying about uh, exactly about that uh, how the movie
1: influenced a lot of things that we know nowadays. And um I love how this this topic thing stuff. I I'm I'm really in love with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could understand now. Now Julia, you've what's it called? Um so this is actually one of your favorite movies of all time. Um and I guess I wanted yeah. to actually ask her this answer this question. When you rewatch this movie, do you which which version do you watch? Are you watching the final cut? Do you watch the director's cut? Or do you like are you one of the lucky ones who um, has the original theatrical version? Because I know that your dad collects a lot of movies. Well, I have, um, I guess I have the original. Oh, really? Because um, I have the final cut. It's. The, I mean, the version I have is different from that was in Netflix. Oh, so, okay. So, yeah, because the but, one on Netflix was the final cut. Um, I actually yeah, have- but sadly, mm-hmm. <laughs> sadly I watch um,
1: the version that I watched the most was the final cut. Oh okay. Because you know I my Blade Runner DVD is like um, scratchy. I don't know how to say it. Yeah, yeah, scratchy. It has some scratches on it, so it's like impossible to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> so sadly, I watch the most the final cut.
0: So I actually have the Blu-ray of the final cut night. What's it called? We're not going to actually have video to this. Like we don't actually have face-to-face video that's showing our faces. And I don't know why I'm holding the Blu-ray in my <laughs> hand right now. Like if I'm talking to you through video chat, but uh, I have the Blu-ray on, but, on, I have the Blu-ray Okay, final I'm cut. sensing it. You're sensing it, right? I'm just swinging it back and forth. I have the, uh, I have the Blu-ray version of the final cut, but back in my other house, uh, what's it called? In back of us. Uh, my brother bought the director's cut on DVD for a film noir class that he he had, and uh, I've actually never seen the original theatrical version. I believe the original theatrical version is the one that has the vo- the voiceover commentaries I and mean, the voiceover to give it that really noir feel. But I've I've never seen that one before. I've only seen the director's cut and I've seen the final cut. Uh, I obviously 100% yeah. prefer the final cut. I think the final cut is according it's to Ridley's. Perfect. Yeah really Scott the final really yeah really Scott said that the final cut was the uh, the ultimate vision of what he had for the movie that's the one that he had the most control over. Of course it is famous that this movie yeah. had like a crap ton of cuts like it had a theatrical and then it had what's it called another recut, then it had the director's cut and it has another cut and there's like all these different cuts to this movie and then obviously it all leads to the end the last cut that they made which was the final cut which is the restored version, the remastered version with the actual find the vision that Ridley wanted out of this movie. And uh, yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm actually fascinated that you have. I believe you. I believe that it's true that you're saying that it is the original version, which is really, really interesting because I don't know anybody who has the original version. Oh, here in
1: Brazil, can I have anything
0: you want sometime? <laughs> least sometimes?
1: <it's not laughs> sometimes you just have to ask the right person.
0: <laughs> oh my, God. you're going to make me want to clip out something from this show. Here in Brazil, you can have anything you want. <laughs> oh my! It's, it's why you guys are always saying, come to Brazil, come to Brazil. <laughs> yeah, come to Brazil and you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I Oh, my God, Julia, you're going to literally make me want to cut out something from here. That was amazing. Oh, my God. So uh, for those of you, for those of you who have, who says you can't have uh, laughs on this very serious show? (laughs) It's uh, one of the the many reasons I love uh, Julia here. Uh, (laughs) So if you've never seen Blade Runner, Blade Runner is actually, what's it called? Uh, Now in the past for us, because it's based on 2019 uh and yeah we're ahead of Blade Runner right now we're ahead of Blade Runner yeah yeah soon I, I mean I don't know if I'll make it to 2049 but if we make it to 2049 that'll be <laughs> in the in the past too but uh I mean as it looks like right now shit I don't even know if the, the uh what's it called the, pop, the human population will even make it to 2049 um but yeah Blade Runner is set in 2019 in Los Angeles. So, in this distant in dystopian future, there was a uh, kind of artificially created, uh, what's it? Well, not artificially, kind of genetically uh, created uh, people who were called replicants who were used uh, as slave labor. But they grew a lot more intelligent than they were expected to, so they had to basically create a mass genocide of these of these replicants. And they were enacted by a special police force you, that were called the Blade Runners. And uh, one of the most interesting parts when it tells you this in the movie, it's uh, it's called, uh, they are, what's it called? It is not called, um, it is not called, it says it is not called arresting. It's called termination. And uh, which once again reiterates that this is not, uh, what's it called? Uh, you know, just is that retirement. Retirement. I'm sorry. Retirement, retirement. It's not. It shows that once again, this is not like a, a what's it called? An actual, you know, arresting. It's 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 literally a mass genocide of people, um, and they would send them out to uh, outer planets to do it. So, uh, Decker or Deckard, our um, our Blade Runner that we focus on, played by of course the incredible Harrison Ford, is uh is the we concentrate on him. And his journey to, you know, kill the remaining replicants in Los Angeles. And he meets, well, somebody that will catches attention. And it uh, changes his mind on what replicants actually are in Rachel. And we kind of go through the movie like that. And uh, so this movie, before we actually get into the thematic stuff, I really want to bring up. I mean, we already we already talked about the cuts, so... What's it called? Uh, I'll go ahead and just not talk about that again. We already talked about that, but I want to talk about a couple of things. And one of the most important things I think about when I think about this movie, it's the it's the production design. So, uh, of course, that cyberpunk feel that's created by this film. It is really done by this beautiful production design of just all this futuristic kind of fashion and the what's it called? The The what's it called? The buildings being very, um. Tokyo inspired and very like very smoggy kind of a New York city look to it as well. Um, the production design is beautiful and actually, it absolutely creates the environment of the movie that you're watching. Uh, what do you think about all that, all the production design that's included in here, Julia? I think it's amazing. Like you really feel like you're in the future.
1: Mm -hmm. and it's not like those i don't know even though i love star wars not that kind of future you know it's like something that could happen because japan is like that you know and Mm -hmm. and it's the it's visual um how can i say it um it's satisfying Mm -hmm. uh, visually satisfying you know yeah visually pleasing the colors are great um and the weather, like it's always raining mm-hmm. and it's like brings an atmosphere, like super nice atmosphere to the movie. Yeah.
0: So um, it was when I, t- so I, the first time I ever watched this film, I watched it before I, wanted, before I watched uh, 2049 and I was like, okay, I got to watch this. And I watched mm-hmm. it and uh, I, I fell in love with it the first time, but I watched the director's cut the first time. And um I, I remember what's called when I took my my uh, film Noir class and we were discussing Neo Noir. Uh, we were talking about Blade Runner. and the professor brought up like, Neo Noir is created with, sadly, I have to mention this man's name, but Neo Noir is actually created with Roman Polanski's Chinatown. But when people think of mm-hmm. Neo Noir, Everybody always looks at Blade Runner because they look at this heightened visuals, of very like science fictiony and very what's it called a uh, dystopian, and they look at this certain uh, visual yeah. style of it, and they kind of slapped the neo noir label to it, and which is why now you know, um, of course, 2049 followed that as well, and I was that's why I'm saying like you know with the visual look of it and also the production design, we really have made it possible for it to live for it to be as relevant as as it is and it's just it's just a testament to the work that they did on this movie and yeah i, I yeah. want to say that watching this in the high definition remastered re final cut this these visuals still beat out more than half of the films that come out today exactly <laughs> mm-hmm. now another thing in, oh i'm, I'm sorry just in, um, Sorry, and one thing know. that
1: really amuses me is that the 2049 is like exactly the same, the same atmosphere. Like I love how they did it. I mean, you're there. It's like the same uh, environment, you know, it's like I, I really love 2049 too. So. Yeah.
0: I'm glad that Denis kind of stuck to that visual style when he didn't decide to, you know, go to, <laughs> straight too far from it. Even though I, I did read yeah. a, I did read what's it called an article where did where Ridley Scott was kind of like in back of a and I, and I what's it called I w, I'll re I'll re-say this when somebody picks twenty forty nine, but I really wanted to talk about it right here because, you know, Ridley, of course Ridley would be really protective of this movie. Of course he was supposed to he was supposed to do 2049 and yeah. no he didn't do it. So one time on set, Ridley was in back of Denis and he was kind of, you know, just saying a lot of uh pointers and kind of being a little bit too protective of what was what what they were shooting so what's it called and I I'm not gonna say the complete quote because I don't want I don't remember it correctly but I know that Denise said something like this he asked uh, Ridley Scott he goes who's one, who what's it called Ridley what is like one of your favorite direct who's your favorite director that you would love to have been able to talk to and, and he goes uh well of course it's Kubrick <laughs> and then he goes if If you were, if if Kubrick was right here, would you be in back of his neck like this too? (laughs) And Ridley apparently laughed and he left the set. (laughs) So uh, that that always makes me laugh because I remember that. And I just, it's like, of course he would be protective of that move of this movie. I mean, first of all, they, they messed with this movie so much, the studio, and then they made him have several cuts and he finally got his real cut until like years later. Uh, and, you know, this yeah. film obviously bombed at first at the box office. It was a big bomb and it becomes a cult film. So, of course, Ridley would be kind of protective of the sequel when they were making it. But uh, <laughs> of course. Um, that always makes you laugh when he's like, well, if Kubrick was here, would you be breathing down his neck like this? And it makes, it makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, another thing that really I had to bring up before we talk about thematic elements. And uh, th- so a lot of you guys, though, I'm a big score guy. I love m- movie scores and movie, uh, what's it called? Uh, soundtracks. The score by Vangelis. Oh, my God. I mean, talk it about. It really
1: makes me cry. Yes. It's... I have
0: I have the Vina record. Oh, really? Of Blade Runner. I'll send you a picture later. Yeah, I've been, but, I've, been yeah. I've been trying to find that myself. I've been trying to find that cuz I really want that record. You know, I I've, I've been telling myself yeah, I'm not going to buy another record because it's my a dad dangerous bought hobby. It
1: like in 82. So. Oh
0: my god. <laughs> like
1: uh at the same time. So yeah, Van like super old, f- but mm-hmm. it's okay. It's perfect and sometimes I hear it on on um, uh, the final player. I don't know how to say it, but yeah. <laughs> it's like insane. It's insane. I love that soundtrack. It's like perfect. And-
0: it's it's beautiful in every oh way. It 100% has those uh, les motifs of, uh, of the noir, kind of yeah. uh, old noir type of saxophone to it. But then it has this beautiful, beautiful uh, kind of futuristic and- feel
1: to it. And there is a thing I don't know if it's just with me, but it's a type of soundtrack that you don't hear it. It's like you're watching the movie and you don't you don't realize playing a song because so mm-hmm. um, so in the movie like mm-hmm. the, the the music is like part of the movie, it's not something uh, outside the movie, it's like inside and yeah. mean, when you're watching it. You don't feel like
0: there's something playing out of the movie like it's in there it's like perfect 100 there's a lot of movies it. where you feel that the score is kind of secondary and it feels like oh the, the, the score yeah. feels kind of out of place but in this one like yeah, there's feel, times okay. there's times i forget that the score is even playing and i'm like it's just, exactly mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and you kind of forget and you're right there like god Damn, like Vangelis is going off here, man. It's amazing what he's doing here. Yeah, it matches perfectly with what you're
1: watching. So sometimes you just don't realize it's playing it. It's amazing. Like, oh, okay, now something's going to happen because the song changed. Like, you don't realize it.
0: Yeah, ah oh, man, it's just, it's one of my favorite scores of all time. Of course, the score for Twenty Forty Nine yeah. is also absolutely genius. I mean, they got Hans Zimmer to do it. Hans is an incredible composer yeah. himself, but uh, this one, it's it's one of honestly at least top five of all time for me of the score because it's just beautiful. And there, it, in what yeah. Julia is saying here is is so true. Like sometimes it just sneaks up on you, and you're like. You're just so immersed into the world of this movie that the score feels exactly. like it's just part of it. It's just part of it. And you don't, you don't actually... Yeah, it's like you're... It feels like you're watching the song. Mm-hmm. That's the feeling. You're watching the song. Yeah. So I, I wish... And I know that this is never going to happen because I think they're done making cuts to this movie. But uh, I, I wish <laughs> that they would do something similar that Ryan Johnson did for The Last Jedi. So if you bought the the Blu-ray... Of the Last Jedi, you got a uh, you got inside of it a special feature which was all of the Last Jedi without dialogue and and sound design and it's just John Williams' score. I wish that they would do the same for oh Blade Runner.
1: God.
0: Yeah, I I wish they would oh do the same God. for Blade Runner. Yeah, <sighs> I'd love it. <laughs> I would love that so much. But it's it's it's, it's, it's oh amazing. It's amazing, but look we're gonna go ahead and let ag- do this let's just do this let's finally <laughs> talk into this this movie has so many different thematics. we're gonna make it <laughs> we're gonna make it yeah we're gonna make it right we're gonna be the ones who make it you know we're just gonna go ahead and just turn off everything yeah. else isolate the audio and take the score and just do it ourselves god i wish it, that was possible <laughs> i wish i understood technology that much but this movie and again in brazil everything is possible <laughs> <laughs> This movie is layered with so many thematic elements. I mean, there's just so much to discuss here. Um, and of course, probably one of, the most, um, one of the most prominent things that I actually wanted to discuss at first, it was, uh, I mean, let's just get into it with this one. It's um, um, the, th- the topic of, sorry, hold on, excuse me. My first ever, I don't want to burp into the microphone on this show at least, uh, this whole topic of, of existentialism within this film has a very interesting uh, kind of scope within. You know, the replicants really don't exist, exist. They're used as slave laborers, And once they've actually rebelled yeah. to actually live as they please, they are still being tracked down and being made to look as they have like a target on their back for their own very existence. And uh, there's, there's a really interesting part when they did, kind of discuss this existentialism. It's uh, towards the end when uh, when obviously Roy Batty dies, and uh, one of the other police officers comes out in the back and he tells uh, Deck uh, De- Deckard that well sadly what's it called uh, the other that uh, Rachel has died, but it, what's it called she, no he doesn't say that. he's like sadly she uh she 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 won't she won't live, but it's not like anybody does. And obviously we find out that Rachel's not actually dead, that she's, she's just asleep. But it kind of brings up an interesting thing that as a replicant, you really don't live because your pure existence is as a slave or as a target. Yeah.
1: You're supposed to die like you have a day to expire and mm-hmm. that's sad.
0: Yeah. So it kind of brings up uh, obviously some very interesting uh, what's it called uh, thematic parts of a kind of French existentialism, um, really like uh, existence is nothing without meaning and without meaning there really is no existence. But it's just yeah. so interesting how really kind of puts it out there. And Roy Batty is pretty much the most uh, uh, the one that you can cling on to the most about that. But it's really interesting what when we see it from the replicant side because everybody else is kind of just living life day to day. They're in Los Angeles, and then you have these replicants who kind of like fear for their lives so much because they have a date that they expire, but also like that date yeah. can come a lot quicker because you're being hunted down because your existence is probably,
1: because
0: you're living. hmm Because your existence, because wants to live. your existence is seen as less than. Yeah, and then once again, it brings up what you were talking about: this whole prejudices and and, and type of stuff there. Uh, but what, what do you think about yeah. that whole aspect of exist, existentialism in here? Well, yeah.
1: yeah, you know, um, every time I watched this movie, I kept thinking like sometimes we as humans, we determine, determinate <laughs> who lives and who dies. And sometimes people just want to leave, you know, and you know, some governments and everything just decide who lives and who mm-hmm. has the right to do something and you know the replicants just want to leave they they have an expiring date they just want to live a little bit longer like why they don't have this right you know just because mm-hmm. they were made up so okay so just because you were made it you're not supposed to live you're, you don't have the right to live like unfair
0: mm-hmm. and, and it's and it's so interesting uh, within the uh the actual scope of the film how it's it's and it's not like a like a quick like injection or something like it's not that they're arrested and then put on death row as we would think that they would be done as you see it in real life. No, they are literally publicly executed in in, yeah. in plain sight as animals as uh, as you would as you would think like, you know, you would think like, oh, they're going to arrest arrest them and kind of, you know, what's it called execute them in the back. But no, it's literally like in plain sight With when everybody sees it and everybody else is kind of so desensitized because they're controlled by the Tyrell Corporation saying that these things are evil, that they are, what's it called, uh, meant to destroy us. When, if anything, they're just symbiotic, uh, symbiotic, symbiotic uh, people who are just trying to live without fear. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's one part of our conversation, but when we come back from commercial break, we're going to go ahead and continue our conversation here about Blade Runner, but stay tuned for these wonderful commercial break, the commercial ad- ads that are made by wonderful people here at the Nerdcore Podcast Network, and we'll be back after these words from our fellow podcasters. Hey, I'm Rob de Mendoza, and this is Jabril Newton, and we are the hosts of High Flyer Radio. Radio. And finally, Pro Wrestling has come back to the NerdCard podcast feed in the form of a show hosted by Jabril and I. And we talk about everything and anything in the pro wrestling world on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time.
2: Nothing's off limits. Whatever you guys want to talk about, it is from AEW to SmackDown to Raw to NXT. Nothing's off the table. We can talk about it.
0: We're going to talk all about it. And if you can get it a day early, you should go to the www. Patreon.com slash The Nerd and pledge to the tiers on there so you can get this show and a lot of shows days early before anybody else gets to hear it. But enough talking about it. We'll go ahead and see you there at the Squared Circle. Oh, yeah. Don't tap out. Tune in. Tune in. Hey, it's Ashley from the Gamer Core. You may remember me
1: from such episodes as Big Screen Mess, Mo Platforms, and Brad Can Read. Tune in weekly as I blab with my co hosts Raul the Nerdy Chicano and Brad the Random Germ about the latest news in gaming and gush over what we're playing at the moment. Oh yeah, and we got the deals too. Keep up with the latest deals in gaming and what's happening as I mediate Brad and Raul fighting like a married couple. Will Death Stranding ever come out? Will Cyberpunk 2077 live up to the hype? Is the next gen worth a $500 console price tag? And has there ever been a movie adaptation
0: of a video game that's been done right? It's all on the GamerCore podcast, everywhere where podcasts are. Hey everyone, my name is Raul Dineri Gigano, and I am the host of The Impered Files. The Impert Files is an interview show brought to you every Thursday on the NerdCore podcast feed. And I interview people such as filmmakers, content creators on YouTube, and podcasters like Colton Geschwander. And if you want to listen to that early, a whole week early, all you got to do is go to the Patreon and pledge to the $1 tier. And if you want to listen to it with the general public, then go to Nerdcore Podcast feed on anchor.fm slash The Nerdcore. And the case is closed, but it's not classified. See you guys there.
2: Hey, guys, this is Brad, a.k.a. Young Yoda. We're all set to make an ad, so that's what I'm doing. Um, It's supposed to be for Unstructured, but as you guys know, you can freaking catch me everywhere when it comes to this podcast feed, you can find me on the Nerd Cores, on Gamer Cores, on Nerdy Chicanos sometimes when I get lost. Uh, I mean, but for this particular one, I want you guys to go check out Unstructured. The role gave me free reign to do whatever I want to do. I don't know what he was thinking. So go hear me talk about LeBron James and Taco Tuesday vaping. Uh, so many other freaking weird topics that uh, chimichangas, that's a good one. Uh, Shout out to Deadpool. And, yeah, I I guess this is the end of the ad, so if you guys want to find me, you can find me all over the place on this uh, podcast feed. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. I love you all. And nerd up.
0: What's up, everybody? It is me, Raul, and I'm one of the hosts of the Nerdy Chicano Show. The Nerdy Chicano Show is a comedic show brought to you by Luis and myself, and it comes to you all every Sunday on the Nercore podcast feed. You can catch it a day early by becoming a Patreon and supporting us at the $1 tier. And I don't really know how to explain this show other than it's fun, we get to talk about whatever we want, and it helps you move on in the week. So if you want to catch on, if you want to catch the The Nerdy Chicano Show every Sunday at 8 a.m. All you got to do is go to anchor.fm/slash the Nerdcore, and we'll see you there, baby. Everyone, I'm Raul.
2: And I'm Brad.
0: And we're the hosts of the Nerdcore podcast, the podcast that talks that nerd. Not on this ad, right? And. We come to you every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday. On the Mondays, we talk the news. That's the box office, the news of the week, and your trailer talk, if there is any. And on Tuesday, we have our theme review. And on Saturday, you have a Saturday morning review, usually movies that have come out in the week, or anything we want to talk about. Right, Brett?
2: Exactly. Whatever we want to talk about, this is our show. If you don't like it, then you don't have to listen.
0: We're the flagship show, the Nerdcore Podcast feed, and we can be found everywhere you can listen to podcasts like Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. So, if you want to talk that nerd stuff with us every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday, make sure you tune in. And, Brad,
2: Young Yoda out.
0: All right. Welcome back after commercial break. Thank you guys for listening to those wonderful ads. And, of course, if you want to listen to those shows, you go to anchor.fm/slash nerdcore and please leave a rate and review on the Apple podcast or Stitcher feed. It really, really helps us out a lot when having people, sh- uh, you know, Actually, come and check out the show and all the different shows that are on there. Right now, of course, because there's a pandemic, I'm not forcing anybody to record if they can't. So the only actual active shows at the time are the Nerdcore and Nerdcore Live shows. So you know, if you go there expecting for there to be a new episode of, let's say, a Nerdy Chicano Show, it's not going to be there. But for now, we have two active shows on there, which are going, you know, pretty much. Let's say uh, five days a week. So it's uh, it's still a good amount of content there. So go in and review the show on your podcast app of choice, please. And, of course, go and uh, also, you know, review this uh, this podcast on your podcast app of choice because it's a uh, two separate feeds. Now, I also want to remind you, this show is also available on the Cinema Con- The Cinema Condition is also available on that feed. But if you're listening on that feed, you're way behind. Like, what's it called? Our season is going to end on this Feed and on that feed we're barely gonna be at like 22. So uh, make sure you guys are listening on this feed. But if you want to catch those reruns or you know you want to be catching on through there, just know that you're gonna finish up a little later than than expected. So um, we're back and we're discussing. We're gonna finish up our discussion here. It's go you know we're not finish it. We're gonna continue it and then finish it. But. We were talking about you know this whole existence and how they're publicly executed. So I wanted to bring up that basically the world of Blade Runner, Los Angeles in 2019, it is basically a police state, and it's really interesting because this is like this is a police state uh, in in our in the world that you see there. Well, when the police seem to have the most power, they're the ones publicly executing in in literally in the public. And it's it's funny it's not fu- well it's not funny but it's like it's quite interesting in the way that it's very relevant to the world we see today especially in the United States when we we somehow do live in a police state where the police do have an, a, a normal amount of power and I I don't know if you know Ridley was really thinking about this when he made the film but it's just it's it's crazy how incredibly relevant it is how how incredibly relevant it is to now. You know, you have this police state and then later on, we're going to talk about, you know, how this it's how the world of Blade Runner is basically representative of a late of a late capitalist um, type of society. Um, So what what do you do you agree with me there, Julia, that this this is basically a police state in this video? I mean, in this video, not video, I'm sorry, a movie. (laughs) Not video, it's not this two hour video. (laughs) Yeah, this two hour, two hour video. Yeah. Well, sorry. I, I think Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't yeah. I didn't know if you if you heard me. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, do you agree with no. with the fact that uh, the Blade Runners are basically a police force that's uh, that's basically controlling the state of the world that we have in Blade Runner?
1: Yeah, of course. It's like police oppression <laughs> with the replicants. Yeah. It is really like super controlled like you, even though the Los Angeles like super populated. Mm-hmm. You know, there uh and you can see there's a lot of cops in some parts of town. But mm-hmm. even with a lot of police uh police officers around there, uh you can actually visualize a lot of criminalized stuff like uh the kids on that part of the movie that mm-hmm. feels like they're um robbing people and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of um you know dirty stuff even though there's police officers around there
0: Mm -hmm. well you see like some of the what's it called like obviously you see in this film that some of the women that are working there like they're they're supposed to be dancers but very obviously they're also working as prostitutes and You know, Decker doesn't give a crap about the prostitution. He just, he cares that if they're replicants and he completely bats an eye to the other woman because she's not a replicant and she goes to the replicant and kills him. But like, like I said, publicly executes them in in, in public. And you see this kind of, you know, this idea of this police force being, you know, so, um, Oppressive and watching over, making sure that these replicates are found and terminated right on the spot, and it's it's very yeah, it, it, it's very. You can off. see
1: they're super selective. They just want to kill the replicants, mm-hmm. and
0: that's it. Yeah,
1: the prostitution is okay, the murder is okay, but it just if you're not a replicant, then it's okay.
0: Yeah, the children roaming the streets who are poor and they're hungry, like that's okay. But if you're a replicant, we have to terminate you. Yeah. And, um, exactly. yeah, and I, and I want to say that it's just, it's, it's also, once again, you know, if you've never watched this film and you're listening to this, I'm really sorry that I'm spoiling a lot, but Deckard is, wait, a, wait, 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 wait. if you never watched
1: Blade Runner, stop this podcast right now and then go and going watch it and then you come back. <laughs> yes,
0: please. Um, I was going to say that. Do yourself a favor. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very interesting because, you know, obviously Deckard is a freaking replicant. And he's used to hunt down his own people. And it's also very reminiscent of how police departments and the military, they seem to, you know, seek out minorities and they use them and basically do their bidding and it's 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 like yeah. like once again i'm telling you it's a very multifaceted type of layers of a film that are very very strong within that and 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 you see this very you know kind of, it's it's dystopian as hell it is very dystopian as hell but it's primarily because of this whole police force of the blade runner of the blade runners yeah yeah and of course um, the police state wouldn't be able to exist without capitalism upholding it to an extent, and uh, that's how I get into this whole idea of late-stage of late stage capitalism within this film. Um, you know, obviously, what's it called? Um, you, this The replicants are created by Tyrell Corporation. Tyrell Corporation, they obviously live in those high buildings that you see that are nowhere near the smog that is infesting Los Angeles, while the poor lower-class yeah. people, especially the Blade Runners, live in that bottom part where the smog is... Polluting their streets, and they have to what's it called live within that, while the rich scum basically live with luxury. And then, uh, what's it called? Right on along the buildings, you have all these other different corporations kind of showing off what they are, uh, what they're selling, and yeah. it's really a con- it's really a corporate controlled type of environment. Yeah,
1: you know, every time I watch uh, Blade Runner at the Tyrell building. Mm -hmm. i always make a parallel parallel i don't know if that's the right word yeah parallel but yeah okay i compare it to the ancient egypt where Mm -hmm. the pharaohs like they have pyramids to rest after they die Mm -hmm. and the Tyrell building similar to pyramid and it's like higher than the other people while while the poor are are starving around there and you know Tyrell is super cool in his pyramid.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly. Emperor, I've never heard that. Uh, what's it called? Uh, the connection to it. That's really interesting that you bring it up because Tyrell does live in a pyramid, and you basically have yeah, him exactly. Mm-hmm, and it's and then it kind of turns 180 when the poor are the ones that come back and literally murders him, like gaug- gauges gauges his eyes out, and. This kills them like the what's it called the mountain kills Oberyn in, in Game of Thrones by crushing his skull in that- Yeah. Uh, rest in peace of the red <laughs> viper. <laughs> but it's just it's it it's it's this whole type of class warfare where you have, you know, these these blade runners turning against their own the own citizens that live within their city because they're no they're no they're no different from them because they're just as poor as, you know these, these replicants and then of course you have these brainwashed genetic people that are used to create replicants who are made yeah. to feel so good for Tyrell when Tyrell are the ones who are literally ordering the mass genocide of these people and they cry and they say like oh then Mr. Tyrell's a genius and he's, he's amazing but you yeah. know they don't know that he is literally causing the suffering and the hurt of all these people and it, it's, it's yeah, just, and so he's the only one
1: who, ha- who gets the benefits because, um, the guys who that provide the eyeballs and mm-hmm. the guy from the genetics just you know, he they don't live ri- with rich stuff, they're poor and mm-hmm. they're like regular people. While Tyra was like up there being rich and
0: doing playing chess, you know, yeah. And uh, he lives like in the in, within the uh, what's it called? The Sebastian lives within the city. He's he he deals with his uh, with his mental disorder, and he doesn't even get any care for it. He lives in a house that's basically broken down. He he, he can't even what's it called uh, what's it called uh, leave the house without you know trying to uh, function properly. And he opens his doors to the replicant who comes in and what's it called lives with him for a bit. While Tyrell has to justify even seeing Sebastian, he has to give all these reasons as to why he needs to go see Tyrell. But Sebastian is so eager to open his doors to the replicant. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: like, you can see the difference, like how humble the others are and Tyrell is like, fuck you.
0: Yeah, 100%. 100%. One hundred percent, and it's just it's it's once like again you, this whole idea of class. You can just warfare. come
1: in if you play chess right. If you play if you're chess not playing right. right, just don't come in.
0: Yeah, and of course it is all just it once again a fraction of this whole class warfare that's happening within the film, and kind of separating these people when you know they're just as they're just as not well off as the replicants are. The only the only thing that separates them is that all these other regular citizens, all these other regular you know. Regular citizens are not being publicly targeted, but they all still live the same. They are all just still poor as hell. They all don't get to live in these riches. They still have to consume the pollution that's underground. It's just what's it called? While while Tyrell literally gets to live in riches and gets the benefit from the labor of all these other different people that you created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just once again another. (laughs) <laughs> and a beautiful representation of capitalism, and, and you know, at this very late stage version of it that is so very controlling yeah. and very reminiscent in here. And uh, it's just, it's just once again another part of what really just kind of brings in here to the table. Like he was really for 1982, yeah. he was able to bring in these very, very relevant things that we're seeing kind of now. Yeah, you know, there's some countries in. And-
1: like Venezuela, for example, mm-hmm. the rich are fine and the rest of people are starving. So mm-hmm. it's like here and it's near my country. It's not like, I don't know, Middle East, that, oh my God, I don't know what's going on in there because media don't go in there. Like mm-hmm. it's happening here and right now. And he wrote about it like in 82.
0: Yeah. So it's incredible. Yep. I, sadly, I, incredible. Sadly, incredible, right? Sadly, incredible. But I, I just I can't believe that, you know, he, he was able to make it so damn, what's it called? a Relevant, even for now. But yeah, it's um it's once again just shows off just the the uh, the intelligence of Ridley Scott when creating this movie. Um, I mean, let me check my go, my my, yeah. my my very handy dandy notebook here. And um, yeah, because we have some other stuff here. Oh, oh, I have one last Thing in here that I actually wanted to bring up that I didn't get to bring up, but it's the kind of the moral ambiguity within um, within Deckard um, Harrison Ford's character, which you kind of see throughout the whole thing. Um, the first part you kind of see of it is when he meets obviously Rachel, and he's kind of asking, well, "What's it called, Tyrell? Like, you know, how, how like she's a replicant? Why haven't you, you know, terminated her?" And obviously he wants to get her terminated. And then you see kind of Deckard create this. You know, connection with Rachel, obviously falling in love with her, which then changes this whole idea of what replicants really mean, and if he's supposed to even, you know, continue doing this job. And even though he fights, he he really does reach that ambiguity stage when he's fighting with uh with Roy Batty, and Roy's telling them all these things like, you know, that your memories really, your memories won't matter. You know, everything you are, you're going to cease to exist, and. You're here kind of enacting this very oppressive regime on the back of a Tyrell who literally does nothing for you and won't do anything for you. And you're still going to be stuck in this very minimal existence that you hold. But, uh, you know, what's it called? At least you have not seen the actual, you know, dangers of what these people are able to do. Because as, as he says beautifully in the monologue, you know, he's seen attack ships uh, so- drown on the on the what's it called on the rings of Orion, and you know all that yeah. all that Deckard has done is basically publicly execute these people, but he's actually seen the secondhand suffering of his people while 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 what's it called while uh, Deckard is here having a crisis of understanding whether or not he wants to continue being part of this oppressive regime, hmm. and he kind of makes it's, that and one thing. Sorry, go, on, go ahead. We, I, oh, we,
1: when we get to know like the other replicants, mm-hmm. uh, it goes against what it was supposed to replicant means. It wasn't supposed to be, so have feelings because all those memories were fake. They were from other persons. So it's, mm-hmm. it wasn't supposed for them to have feelings. And then Decker, Decker sees that Rachel has feelings, Roy has feelings, everyone there has feelings. Mm-hmm. They just want to live. It's not just a state, uh, an instant of survival. They enjoy things they like each other it's not just instinctive you know they yeah. have feelings
0: yeah and it's which, which once again just kind of leads up to that ending where he kind of makes the decision no i gotta run away with rachel and as you can tell if you yeah. watched if you watch 2049 you know that they still hunted down rachel and uh and and deckard and her in her in her in their children and you kind of see how, you know, he finally makes that decision after seeing that, you know, these replicants aren't, rope; they're not robots. They actually are people who feel, even though these memories they have implanted in them are fake, they still, they still feel just like all these other humans do. And they shouldn't be, you know, kind of hunted down like animals. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, that... Kind of concludes it. I mean, you know, there's also this other kind of uh, interesting layer to it that I never really got to see. I obviously didn't really what's it called write it down here, but I kind of I kind of saw it, kind of this whole religious symbolism too, uh, especially when Roy Batty puts the nail through his hand and he he what's it called uh, he puts it there and uh, and it's like you it's kind of very symbolism of Christ being put the nail into his hands when he's crucified. And uh, those like there's just this really interesting sort of a, a religious aspect to it, especially especially the white dove that is supposed is, is flies or flies in it in one of the versions of, of the film. Uh, very uh, very yeah. religious subtext in there too. But uh, I mean I I can't really speak on that because I really what's it called I don't have a really big form form formed analysis on that. But I I wanted a, I, I usually see the the
1: when he hurts his hand just to I've always understood that like um he wants to still feel something mm-hmm. They're like he's I I've all interpreted that he's f- losing his feelings like he's not sensing it so ha- he, wa- he wants to sense again yeah he knows he's going to die so he wants to feel something
0: yeah yeah because he's he knows he's going to die and uh that yeah he really he's not used and like, sooner uh, yeah, a lot sooner than, sooner than he was supposed to die. Mm-hmm, exactly. And uh, I could not finish this without saying, uh, what's it called, a, a, a very, uh, that's what's it, called, what's it called, Roy Batty is obviously played by the late grade Ruger Hauer, who uh, passed away, I believe, a year ago already. I, I think it was a year ago. Um, I Please don't tell me it was this yeah. year. It was a year ago, right? Yeah, 2019. It was last year, the year of Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. He passed away and... Uh, yeah, I want to say that now that monologue, the tears and rain monologue, is a lot more hard to get through now because he he he's yeah. gone. But, and uh, he
1: actually died in the year he was. He died in the Blade Runner.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is absolutely That's nuts. Super. it's, That's, <laughs> it's crazy. It, it is. <laughs> it's nuts. It's scary and nuts, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, and okay.
1: one thing I like about this guy is that he's like, I don't, I've I never watched another movie about, with him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but he really tried to make a difference. He did a lot of social stuff. He like, mm-hmm. he did good to humanity, you know, he was mm-hmm. a good person. And he's
0: like, he did something besides being a replicant. <laughs> he mm-hmm. did something. By the way. I never noticed that Edward James Olmos was in this movie until I saw the name. Like, I can't believe it. I watched the movie three times and I never, ch- never noticed when the names were coming up that it was Edward James Olmos, but I checked it out this time and I was like, wait, Edward James Olmos is in this? And, uh, when you meet Gaff, you're like, yeah, that's Edward James Olmos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I can't believe it, but, uh, you know, that just goes to show what, um, I, I, I obviously didn't pay attention as much as I thought I was paying attention. But that's our conversation on Blade Runner 1982. And I've got to say thank you to Julia for coming on. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the to the interesting stuff here. So everybody gets to what's it called? Um, everybody gets to choose a movie that they recommend and a movie that they get to claim for season two on the first time they ever come on the show. Because obviously when you re- when you come back again, during the first season by the way not next season uh but if you if you have a if you have multiple slots in in the season you don't get to recommend or claim another movie you just gotta message me and tell me if you want another movie but we're gonna go ahead and and, and get julia's pick here so julia what is the movie that you're going to uh recommend for the people and what is the movie that you're going Re- to claim for season two and you I'm can't to- you can replic- you can't recommend this movie by the way that's shooting. <laughs>
1: I rec- I've already recommended in the yeah. <laughs> the episode to watch Blade Runner, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to rec- recommend Black Swan. Ooh. I love Black Swan. Um, it's amazing. amazing. It's I I can say I watched it a lot. I I really enjoyed this movie, and I love movies mental stuff like. Mm-hmm. It really touched me. Psychological thrillers. I want s- yeah, you know, it it really makes my feelings,
0: you know. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And the movie I want to pick up for the next season is Mary and Max.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, you so you told me you were like, uh, Mary and Max would be another one I want to do. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, obviously I couldn't give you a second slot, but yeah, I had a feeling that you were going to choose Mary and Max. Um, who yeah. Who did Marion Max? 100? This is, I love
1: this movie so much, like so much. I cry every time I watch it and it's beautiful every time I watch it and
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's so beautiful. It's like beautiful.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, it's the animated
0: movie. Yeah.
1: <sighs> yeah. It's like slow motion movie, actually. Yeah. Slow,
0: slow motion. Stop, slow stop slow motion, right? How do, stop yeah. motion. Yeah. Yeah and with clay nice not with the yeah Yeah, claymation that's really cool yeah
1: and the story is beautiful and it really teaches you a lot of things Mm -hmm. about friendship and love and it's amazing it's like based on a true story actually
0: yeah i've never seen this movie right now really yeah, I've never seen this movie before.
1: So I have to... Yeah, it's amazing. It's based on a true story about a girl who sends a letter to a, a girl in Australia sending letters to a 40-year-old man, sol- solitary, and he's Jewish, and he's 40 years old. And, like, mm-hmm. they start a friendship by letters. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Like, they they have problems and how they deal with their problems. Yeah. It's
0: beautiful. And beautiful. Yeah. I I can't wait to watch amazing. this movie. I've never, I've, I've, like I said, I've never seen this movie before. So uh, this is going to be even you interesting. to watch it. Even more interesting. Yep. So um, Julia, before we leave, can you let the people know where they can find you on the internet and all that wonderful stuff?
1: You can find me on Twitter as Rylokins, on Instagram as Julia Kogfefi, and Facebook has Julia Kofefi too. There's another two last names, but you can just yeah. search for Julia Cofefi. Kof- I'm pretty sure I'm the only one.
0: <laughs> now, uh, I don't want to embarrass myself here, but it is Beninca or Beninca? Beninca. Beninca. Gutierrez, right? Gutierrez. Gutierrez, yeah. Gutierrez. And obviously, I wasn't going to say Gutierrez, but it's Gutierrez, yeah. All right. You see, so I got it right. Yeah. I got it right on the, on the page. I knew, how, <laughs> I knew how to say it, but that was... You just the have to
1: scratch the R a little bit more, Guterres. but perfect, almost
0: Guterres. perfect. And no, I was like, have, goteges. Goteges. Yeah. Oh, damn. Okay. All right. Here we go. You see, it's not that hard for me to get down to Portuguese names. Don't worry about it. Brazilian yeah. names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, well, it's what these uh, languages are so common for. But yes, this yeah. was the this was the uh our, our 24th episode and absolutely I loved it. Thank you so much, Julia, for coming on. Of course, you can find her wherever she told you guys to find her, and you can find this show. Um you can find this show on this feed. Please, please leave a rate and review on this feed on um, Apple Podcast and Stitcher. But also go and check out the nerdcore.com where I'm posting all my articles for my 75 Films from Asia Challenge. And I'm also going to be start to, I'm starting to do video reviews on my personal channel with Alejandro Mendoza. So go and check that out and go and check all the wonderful stuff up. I'm, I'm, I'm posting soon my, my work there. So, uh, of course, you can also find my short films I've done on there. So you should already be subscribed just for that. But uh, if you want to see some video reviews and you want to see movie reviews of all these movies I'm covering for 75 Films from Asia Challenge, go ahead and check that out. But without a further ado... As always, it's a lot of fun, and I don't have an outro, but today I actually want to read the monologue for you guys in honor of the wonderful uh, Ruger, Ruger Hauer, uh, who, who, re- who, who, sh- who shall rest in peace. And um, I'll send you guys out, and I'll read this for you guys. So uh, here it is. Roy Batty. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watch sea beams glitter in the dark near the townhouser gates. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. Time to die.